Welcome back to Unfiltered with A and C. How's it going today? I'm doing good. How are you? Pretty good. How's your week going with this nice weather? 80s, 40s, 80s, 60s? <laughs> oh, until today. Yeah. Me. It was nice early today, and then just all hell broke loose. Oh, yeah. But it's been fun, so. It's been a good week. Keep rolling with the weather. We're getting closer to good summer and sunshines. Very right. excited. Yes, yes. So let's uh let's get started then. Start yeah. off with some good old fun facts here. Um let's do number one. Actor Leonard Nimoy, who played Spock in the original Star Trek, once gave a cab ride to John F. Kennedy, the future president told the aspiring actor. Lots of competition in your business, just like mine. Just remember, there's always room for one more good one. Hmm. That's, yeah. It's pretty That's good. good insight, though, to as a legend, legacy. Oh, yeah. Two big people. All right. Number two. When Edward I of England was coming back from the Ninth Crusade in 1272... He learned that his father had died and that he had been named King of England. Instead of returning home to be crowned, Edward went on a leisurely trip to France and Italy for almost two years and came back in 1274. (laughs) Imagine just you wake up and it's all yours. Like, there you go. You're not in charge of everything. You're like, ah, I'm going to need a little time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, um, okay. (laughs) <laughs> we'll see when I get there <laughs> pretty <Yeah>. busy <laughs> right <laughs> fact number three is the reason why we bury our dead six feet deep dates back to the bubonic plague when corpses were buried that deep to prevent the spread of the disease okay so I don't know what the frost line is but I I believe that's what they call it I I know one of our friends, Jared, would know this, but there is a certain point, a certain depth that you get to that I know it it doesn't ever change. I think it stays at like 56 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. It's like cave temperatures. Um, and I think they try to put stuff down below that, like pipes and stuff. Now, I don't know if that's the same line as six feet or not. Probably not. It's probably much deeper. Yeah. I think the six feet rule is just, uh, you know, it's going to be hard to unbury that person and spread the plague some more. That's, yeah. I see. used to get out of there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And we've just stuck with it since. Yep. That's wild. The final fact for this week is the reason why women's buttons are on the left while the men's are on the right is due to historical gender roles where men dressed themselves while women were dressed by their servants. I never even noticed that. Where, they're on what article of clothing? Uh, shirts. Oh. Our buttons are on the right, so our right hand can reach them. 
Yeah. Well, it's on the left where our servant's right hand would be. Basically. <laughs> so. Oh, okay. <clears throat> it's a pretty cool little insight. It's a shirt that you need a uh, chauffeur to put on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, that's pretty neat. I, yeah, I never knew that. And that we're still rolling with that as well as a standard? Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's old standards. But now that leads us in to will be the bulk of our episode today, which is the challenges facing the gaming industry. So, it's a pretty big topic here. A lot to break down and a lot of opinions on a lot of things. So I guess I'll start us off with, I think one big challenge that we see is the competition in making something similar to one another. Um, it all started with I'm trying to think what was first PUBG or H1Z1. I think PUBG might've been the original battle Royale. Then H1Z1, and then Fortnite, and then Warzone. And it's just been a breakdown of, let's all make a Battle Royale and compete. Oh, yeah, everybody does their own flavor. And, like, I get it's a big sector, but... It's became a genre, for sure. I mean, I see, like, comes in ebbs and flows. It seems like Warzone is on... A high, whereas Fortnite's kind of on a decline, and PUBG and H1Z1 are kind of relevant at this point, which is interesting to talk about. So, is the battle royale genre finally dying down? Well, I don't know if it's. I'm not really sure, actually. I mean, you definitely don't hear about it as much. It's not as, um, I don't know if there's monetary situations there or what, but, um, you know, a couple years ago, Ninja, you always heard about Ninja with his blue hair and his awesome gaming studio with his PC and all that. And uh, anymore, unless you intentionally follow him on YouTube and stuff, like I, I don't really see any content about him and and it's not just so much him and and Fortnite it's uh it's anything of the genre i mean cod whenever they come out obviously they advertise that like yeah warzone and zombies if it's treyarch and campaign or multiplayer or what have you no campaign but um Yeah, it's. I do think so. I think it's slowing down. Is dying. I, I think there's always going to be that group of people that. I mean, it was always a niche idea. A hundred people in a match. That was amazing. I mean, that was uh, groundbreaking. I think we were I mean, capped off at thirty prior. Probably. I, I know that the predecessor of it all was Minecraft. Yeah. <laughs> games, which is crazy to think about that Minecraft led to something that became a game on its own. And obviously done in a bigger way and a different way. I mean, Fortnite is the one out of all of them where 
you're not only looting for weapons and gear, you're also looting for materials and being able to build. So it's more of a, I guess, survival-based battle royale. I mean, they're all survival games at their basis, but the only one where you're able to craft a building or for, fortress, hence Fortnite, is Fortnite. Yeah, but there's a sense of it's it's um, it's definitely a flavor because they talk a little bit of my you know Minecraft has that adventure MMO style. Mm-hmm. Um, you can play this for hours and just build something, or you can play it for hours just adventuring. Whereas Fortnite, you really can't spend hours building. I mean, in practice mode, yeah, but like realistically, no, you're going to throw up a little quick shack or a couple walls, something to help you out or something to help you get around the map and then you're going to move on. So, like, they have the building mechanic there, but it's not quite as in-depth as as Minecraft is. Oh, not at all. Sure, it'd be kind of neat to see them try to take that on because they do have a nice crafting system for console. I think they did it really well for the controller. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've seen a decline in those games, so it's, what's the next big thing? What's going to overtake that? And I think that's the biggest challenge right now is what is next yeah it's uh, you know there's a lot of eyes on AI right now and GPT and everybody's making their own flavor of GPT and using its framework and it just makes me wonder when it's going to seep into the gaming industry as well Um, whenever it does seep in I think you're going to see a lot of a lot it things are going to be ran a lot more tight I think. You know the good old cod lobbies if you will. Anyone that's around our age knows what I'm talking about, the good old ones from high school days. Um that will never be a thing again if AI becomes implemented into games cuz they will absolutely be able to have control over stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But it also might create for, um, like, let's say GTA, if you had, like, a live game engine that was reactive to things, reactive, yeah. um, you know, whenever you crash your fire truck into a building, just because that's what you did on GTA and you destroy that destructive map, um, maybe the gameplay realizes people aren't around and it just re-renders that to kind of keep the map from being flat after about an hour of people playing it. Just stuff like that. I think it could certainly help. And uh, who knows, maybe a, a new genre could come out of that. I mean, look at what... If you really break down to the root, the root of those Battle Royale games are... it's free-for-all or squad and it's a huge lobby that was the attraction 100 people in a lobby who's going to come out victorious 1v1 1v99 basically yeah and 
that's all it was. Like that, it wasn't anything super hard or like some groundbreaking. Like, oh my god, I can't believe that guy thought of that. It, it was something so minuscule like that. But games have ran, and there's been, I'm sure, hundreds of billions of dollars made. <laughs> so it's it's hard to tell, you know. And I do think about that a lot. What's what's next? And uh, I really, really have my fingers crossed for. Uh, the survival genre that genre needs care there's so much gameplay potential and hours for people into that and uh-huh. you know the the ability to come and go uh obviously cod you have that because you jump in a match match or two and then go to bed you can do that whereas uh as an adventure <coughs> game i guess uh use a minecraft as an example you do the same thing you could jump on for half hour you know build this section of your house, do some chores or whatever you're doing around and, you know, jump off, play at your own. It doesn't matter how far ahead your friends are than you or behind than you are. It's you play at your own, own thing there, you know? Yeah. So I, I like that personally. So I, I personally hope the adventure genre takes off. <clears throat> uh, I, I don't know what's next. I mean, before Battle Royales, there wasn't one big genre. It was kind of, you had your niche that you stuck to. And if you liked COD, you played COD. If you liked, I don't know, like RPGs, you played your RPGs. And then Battle Royales changed it, where it was like, oh, everyone's playing Battle Royales. And I mean, throughout COVID, we had our niche games of... Fall Guys and Among Us, those came out, and they've kind of died down since then. Yeah. What is kind of in the spotlight right now? You know, now that we're talking about this, I, is everyone just kind of in like a, a still season right now with games? It, it seems so. Like, I haven't, I mean, Warzone's still kicking. People are still playing Warzone. Yeah. I mean, that's just, I think it's just because it's the Call of Duty title, so. Well, Triple is the, you know, it's like GTA 5. Game's how old and it's still popping. Exactly. It's like, nothing's super popular right now. There isn't that big game right now. And I, I don't see that being a thing for at least another year. I mean,. I don't know if COD's officially releasing a game this year or not. I heard rumors that they might for Sledgehammer. But if they don't, we know the next one's going to be a Treyarch in 2024. And then we have GTA 6. So those are the next big titles. Outside of that, I, I don't know. I haven't heard much. Nothing big on the horizons from what I can tell, but there's always that game that comes out of nowhere, like Fortnite did. Epic really wasn't a thing. (laughs) No one knew who Epic Games was until Fortnite came out. So there's always the potential for a small developer to make a game that blows up. That's true. And yeah, that's what startups are all about in the tech industry for sure. Um, I, it's just so hard, you know, somebody's got to come out and do it. I think really what it takes is a, you know, a startup that you have a bunch of 
unicorns, if you will, <laughs> experts in their field. They're just new. And a team that just works together really well. And, you know, if they all have a really good vision, like um, Boundless, for example, nobody tried to do Minecraft. I mean, there was the pocket Minecraft. There's like 10 trillion different ones that you could buy or download, but like the real Minecraft made by Notch and now owned by Microsoft. There was no competition. That's why we look at that game and say there is so much potential. Yeah. Because there is. I mean, look at how big Minecraft is and has been for the past 10 years plus. It's been massive. I believe it's number one. Mm-hmm. A game... Is is it still number one on the chart? I haven't checked that in a while, yeah. but... It's either GT or Tetris, one of the three. Yeah, it's, it's, it's up there, for sure. Yeah. We know that much, and that's that's the thing. No one's come out against that. Yeah. And with Boundless, it is a voxel, but it comes with so much more than Minecraft can provide. You're, yeah, you're correct. And um, it's, it's looking like the Minecraft servers are... Like, the server aspect of it, the third party, like, ones where you and I could run, mm-hmm. they're starting to kind of do their own thing. Like, um, look at, look at, like, Jortex, you know, they have a, they've taken the Skyblock mode of Minecraft and they've made it something completely different. They've added PVM, PVP, they've added resistance to PVP, like, there's a lot to it. They've added so much work to that and put a lot of thought into the additions to Minecraft. They actually took Minecraft and added value to it. And I think that's what's important with a server. But, but uh, you know, I guess we could go back and forth all day with that. Uh, I think one challenge, another challenge to bring up is the... The cross-gen. we got to get everyone on the same field here. Mm-hmm. But we got to do it right. And agreements have to be made that are reasonable. Like, I, I don't know. I think there was some discussion between Microsoft and Sony that may have been kind of unrealistic. Yeah. But um, I, I, I have no idea, in my opinion. But... um. I think that is one of the biggest things I have my eyes on is the crossplay. We need that. I mean, why why should you have to choose to own an Xbox and deal with that controller if you don't like that mm-hmm. just because you want to play Forza? Or why should you have to, you know, buy a $2,000 gaming computer to run flight simulator whenever maybe your PlayStation 5 can run it just fine with its overclocked GPU. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if we could get everybody on a common playing field, everyone would make more money that's making money to begin with. Yeah. And everybody would be happier as long as we could figure out the mouse to controller thing, which I'm not even going to delve into that. But 
that is, like I said, we got to go gracefully with this, but it needs to happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this topic is so big in itself. It's like hours of conversation come out of it. What what needs to happen? What could change? What could improve? Yeah, absolutely. And I think SBMM, we've talked about this before, that's not an improvement at all. I yeah. mean, no, if you want to play ranked play, you need it. But if you're just trying to play a game, just get rid of it. It shouldn't be there. And for any unfamiliar, it's skill-based matchmaking. It's uh, The traditional way was they would just take I believe they would just take a randomized. So there's a hundred thousand people in queue. We need twelve. All right, here's twelve that's been waiting. There you go. There's a match, and it just starts throwing matches together. And it could be anyone from a first timer on card <laughs> to somebody that's been playing for ten years. And now skill based matchmaking, how it works is, uh, yeah, you get a little bit of free time there. They'll throw some bots at you and they'll throw some all new players and, you know, a couple really good players as well. Um, and give you a little break. But whenever you're doing really, really, really good, they're seeing that and they're matching you with your peers, like people that play as closely to you as they can, skill based matchmaking. So they're, they're building a skill profile on you, and they're keeping it rolling. It, it it moves up and down. You know, if you do horrible for 50 matches in a row, it's going to put you up against easier people. If you quit playing for three months and come back, you're going to be up against, like, bots and easier people. But what Anthony's talking about, just to compliment you there, and because I just want to make sure anyone that didn't know what that was, that's what that is. But on yeah. top of that, it's, uh, you know, it. I, I also do not like it because it gets to a point where you are coming home to jump on, whether it be from school, college, or work, you're coming home to jump on and play a video game. At the end of the day, that's just your hobby. That's what you're doing to de-stress. And by skill-based matchmaking, it's forcing you to sweat every day. Uh-huh. And but you know, sweat. I mean, you know, play at your full potential. You can never just chill and have a match where there's a couple people bad and there's a couple people good. And you'll get a few kills and you'll get a few deaths, and it is what it is. Like there, that's eliminating that. Like if you don't play at your top potential, you're going to get destroyed the whole time and not want to play. And yeah. that's what's ruining it. And what what's the issue is when we play as like a whole group, there's six of us plus, but only six of us can be in a party at a time. So when we do that, there's the top pinnacle players, and then we have people who are towards the bottom, new, haven't played a Call of Duty before. So they're getting thrown into a hellstorm because of the people who have played and are good at the game. So it's really hard for them to get any better when they're not facing people of their caliber because they want to play a game with their friends. So it punishes that in a sense. Yeah, like for example, you know, there would be six of us and we would coordinate with each other and we would have like strategy and maybe the other team didn't. 
they were just six randos thrown together on a team up against a, a coordinated team of us. And, you know, you're going to get shredded if you're uncoordinated versus a coordinated, especially on a game like Search or any <clears throat> strategy-based games. And, I, you know, the, I guess it's good that they kind of address it because you can't have a top-notch gamer just running around slaughtering new people. That That's going to make new people not want to get into the game. But you can't punish someone for having some skill either. I mean, you can't just keep dry. Like, there's got to be a ceiling where it slows way down, where it takes a while for you to keep climbing the ranks at this point. And that bar kind of needs to be set a little bit lower if it exists because it is pretty aggressive. Like you said, we could win maybe six matches. We might have an evening of fun, and then the next day we come back, and it's like a whole nother game. People are just on it. Yeah. I think uh, having that get removed for just general play is the – reasonable option. I know they have league play. Keep it there. That's where it belongs. Like, that is a ranking system gameplay where you're getting ranked and you're getting matched with people in your rank. And you're trying to work to get better and improve your rank. If you're playing that, you should expect SBMM. Like, people in your skill level should be facing each other to see if anybody's moved up out of that skill level. Yeah. Absolutely. I would even settle for it being an optional thing where you could adjust. Yeah. Just like you can adjust whether or not you want to play cross-platform or not. You you can do that. And I think that's great. But um, to add to that, they could also make that option. You know, if you want SBMM, that's fine. Turn it on. If you want to get back to the legacy style, we should have that legacy option. It should just be a slider legacy or... SBMM, and then you're kind of picking what you want to do. They're probably going to still continue to, by default, throw new players into SBMM. So hopefully the community as a whole does a pretty good job at uh, letting people know, like, hey, man, turn yourself on to Legacy. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's only fair, too. Like, I don't want to go against a whole team of really good people. That's not fun. There's one of me. There's six of them. Unless we're a coordinated team, then it's fun. It, you yeah, know, two coordinate. Whenever we would get thrown up against another coordinated team, like like a clan battle, I guess you, if you will, in that game, um, six v six, that was a lot of fun with the strategy. Those games, like you were really getting into it. It grabbed you. Yeah, but. Yeah, for solo players, no, it sucks. And unless you have a full team, it absolutely sucks. If if you're doing good or you're on a hot streak, you you get thrown to the wolves. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate. <laughs> but there's nothing you can do to combat combat it. It's just it's unfair. Yeah, in my opinion. I mean, I play video games that fun not to perform. At my highest level, every single match, and that's—I think—that's why I've been playing Cold War again. Is because SPMM is a little bit broken, with less people being on that game 
kind of bypassed it just to fill the lobbies. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So it's it's a lot easier not to sweat any match. Don't get me wrong, there's sweaty matches and there's times where you're just getting beat down constantly. Um, and I think that comes with it. That's gonna. You have to have that. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they should eliminate it and make caught a fun experience every single time. No, you, you're gonna have matches where you get absolutely eaten, but you should have matches where you do good, especially if you're somebody that plays like on a daily for a little while. Like I, I see a lot of people whenever they're playing COD, whenever I'm talking to them or around them, they're frustrated usually. <laughs> <laughs> So, I just get frustrated because when I play, for some reason, people in our group don't like to play objectives. <laughs> like, if you want to play TDM, go play TDM. That's cool with me. I, yeah. I like to play objective games because I don't really have to rely on everyone on my team being able to make kills. I just need to rely on them being able to run to a certain area. Yeah. I'm trying to keep pushing that. Like, I mean, not for somebody on the bus, but Brad is not the best COD player. He's gotten a lot better recently. But historically, he's not a good COD player. And that he blames on his internet. So we'll take that at face value because he's never had good internet. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's It really has been. But, yeah. We'll, we'll see. When we go and play Dom, I'm like, everyone needs to go to B, just push B, and we'll be okay. Like, I don't care how many times I die or get kills. That's not what I'm playing for. I'm playing to win the game mode. Yeah. So That's when, why we're playing Search. If we were playing Team Deathmatch, we would be on Team Deathmatch. <laughs> yeah. And it annoys me sometimes, because, like, I'm the only person trying to get points. I'm the only person, especially in Hardpoint. Oh, we'll get to the end of the match, and we would have lost by a big margin. I'm like, I was on the point for two minutes. No one else broke 30 seconds on the team. Like, how? What were they doing? Yeah. To play devil's advocate a little bit, I think um, it's easy to get sidetracked. Like, like, I listen a lot because I'm not actively playing right now, but I do listen a lot, and, like, for Gary, it seems like it's just he's new and it's a skill thing. He's still learning the maps. He's still, like, I understand where he's at. He's learning the maps. He's learning all these new guns and attachments and all this stuff. And, like, I can kind of understand that's probably very overwhelming. Or it might not be because he's just simply not playing with that all that stuff, in which case he's putting himself at somewhat of a disadvantage, in which case that might be the reason why he can't simply get to and play the objective because it's he hasn't found his style yet. Whereas I think Brad, whenever you say Brad's doing better, I think that's what you're saying. He's gotten better, but I think it's because he found his style. He's not trying to run and gun anymore. He's using his LMG method, and that's great. He found a, he found a way to play. It's not a way I would play or you would play necessarily, but he found a way he likes it, and it works for him, it seems like, from what you and him say. So 
there's also all that to take into account too. I mean, yeah. I think whenever you start getting your ass beat on that game, you just, it's easy to veer off, especially over and over and over again. Like you want to keep playing with your friends, but it's like not fun anymore. You're almost dragging it on just to stay in there and play. I feel like I'd be okay though. If like if I cared about kills, because yeah. you know, I'm normally towards top leaderboard on that stuff. Scoring kills. That's where I bl- I'm up there. And yeah. that's that's not me, though. I'm competitive in the point that I want to win the match. So that's what gets me mad, is like... Like, the other night, we... You could see the difference of what I consider a good game and what Brad considered a good game. Brad wins 17-5. Was very happy about that. It wasn't long ago that Brad would go the opposite of that and go 5-17. and 17. Exactly. But that's then massive. You have, like that's a once a year situation for Brad at best before that. You it's have me game. and I'm like, that was a pretty good game, six, two and nine. Yeah. It's like there's a major difference between what we consider good for ourselves. So that's why I don't really care about that portion of the game. Cause I'm like, well, I'm playing with my friends and I know that they don't, they're not the same skill level as me. So, I'm not going to focus on the scale part. I'm going to focus on the team part, which is can we win the match or not? Because that's what's fun. You know, ultimately we're trying to have fun. You know, people are getting pissed. Like, ah, I can't get a kill. I, all I do is just get, I just keep respawning. It's like, okay, well, hey, you know, let's, let's see what you can do about it. Let's Maximum death goes up. Yeah. And you're helping you know, the team doing that. Let's switch it up a little bit, maybe try something else. And I know taking people under your wing a little bit definitely has helped. Mm-hmm. I, me and you have both done it, I think. And, you know, Aisha picked up a lot of stuff. Her first season of COD was excellent. I, I would say she was substantially above average for her first season. Yeah. And um, okay. I think a lot of people would agree with that that played, so... She was out doing Brad. I don't know how they would smash up now, but he has a little bit of advantage. He plays a lot more than her. Yeah. So she'd have to get back into the swing of things. That's true. This has definitely been... Cold War was probably my best Call of Duty all time in terms of my performance in the game. Now, in terms of like what I found to be really fun and every time I got on it was a great time. No, it, it was Black Ops 2, so. And then even Black Ops 1 goes above that. <laughs> and the reason, I think SBMM is what causes that to be that way. Because, again, we have such a range of skill across the team where if it's taking the average skill out of our whole squad... I mean, you look at what me, you, and Cordell. I think yeah, those, each were, those, all three of us were like top 750 in the world. It was always a pretty good lineup whenever we would do that, whenever we'd have like a half squad day. Yeah, like us three, we could keep up with each other. In Ken, we, we were probably top 1 million multiplayer rank. Yeah. But then you have new players and people with bad internet, like Brad and Alicia. And it's like, well, if it's taking the average, they're going to be way out of their league, so they're not going to have as good of a time as we do. 
for us, it worked out. For them, it didn't work out. And that shouldn't be something that's happening because you're going to want to play with your friends, not by yourself. Yeah. So if you're getting screwed because you're new to a game and your friends are really good at that game, that's not fair. Or, for example, like, you know, somebody um, has a substantially, like, let's say I can dedicate 40 hours a week to gaming, <laughs> which would be nice. Um, but somebody else might only be able to dedicate two hours a week. So, naturally, person number one is naturally going to be better. At the least, they're going to be trained up and more familiar with things and more sharpened to the controls and things like that. Uh, Absolutely. But I think there's a lot to go off of with the challenges, and there's a lot of challenges. We only covered a couple, but I think we covered the biggest one is what's that next niche? Where are we going next with gaming? And that's for them to figure out it might come from a big name developer. And it might come from a new startup. It's just, it's just where it comes from and when it's going to come. And all we can do yeah. is just hope and wait that it happens soon. So, I agree, and hopefully it does. Uh, I think with that, I'm going to go ahead and slam us right on into Tech 101. Then, which is kind of. It's going to be short this week, short and sweet. Um, I didn't want to go too in-depth, especially after that. Um, that's pretty tacky gaming. So, yes. um, couple updates for the tacky people. Um, the first PCIe 5.0 SSD Generation 5 has hit the market. It's crushing throughput competition as expected. And the chip actually comes with a reportedly large heat sink whenever you receive it. So even our chips, even our memory and storage is receiving heat sinks now. It's becoming a very common thing for high performance uh, in the computer realm lately. Um, What I can say is our PS5 and maybe the Xbox fans, I'm not sure. But the PS5, whenever we got it, it came with a two and a half inch solid state drive SSD that was not an M.2 NVMe form factor. Um, but what ended up happening was we ended up having, they planned ahead, Sony planned ahead, sorry, and they realized that the one terabyte in the SSD included with PlayStation was not going to be enough. So they added an expansion slot, which was also an upgrade slot to the SSD that was included for you to upgrade to a generation four. Uh, they were recommending uh, NVMe generation four for the M.2 SSD. Apparently you could use that in addition to the included hard drive or solid state drive. Um, or you could just simply take that out and run it 
straight off of the M.2 chip. There's a little bit of migration there and migration tool. I would assume if Xbox shipped with SSDs, they probably have, or I hope they have the option to upgrade to the M.2. It does seem to be a little bit better for the 4K gaming. So, um, aside from that, uh, the, I noticed a deal that I just had to mention and we're not being paid or anything and I'm not being like endorsed sales or anything. It was just something really interesting to me was the, um, sale that Walmart has going on right now for tech. It's a razor bundle that includes, um, let me pull it up here real quick. It's called the next Razer Next Level Gaming Bundle. It includes a mouse, a mouse pad and headset mic. All three peripherals are Razer branded, so you're getting the Kraken X Lite wired headset, the Death Adder Essential wired mouse, and the Gigantus V2 medium mouse mat. For $44.88 at the store closest to me. So for around 45, 50 bucks, we're looking like you're going to be able to get, you know, at least a mouse and a mouse pad plus a headset for Razer, which in my opinion is pretty good. I, I don't know those specific peripherals. I haven't used the Kraken or the, um, Gigantus or the Death Adder, but I do use a lot of their I guess they're higher end equipment and I've enjoyed it and it's been pretty good for me. So, uh, just wanted to put that out there for anyone. Um, I'll actually try to include a link if I can, um, to the deal on the Walmart site if anyone's actually interested in that. So 45 bucks, three piece kit of razor equipment. Kind of neat. Absolutely. Absolutely. That. Link will be in our description. Check it out. Yeah. So, aside from that, honestly, like I said, Tech 101 short and sweet this week. Unless, Anthony, you have anything to add to it, that's all I have. I think I, the gaming stuff was pretty good. Yeah. I mean, the whole episode's been Tech 101 if you think about it. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> Which is so, awesome. Yeah, I, I enjoy it for sure, and I hope your <laughs> fans enjoy it too. So, um, but yeah, definitely, definitely keep you guys eyes on that G5 NVMe. I'm curious to see how that, if that's going to work in our consoles and stuff. And on top of that, the uh, this deal, how long this deal is going to go on? Razer. Whenever I look at Razer stuff, I think a hundred to three hundred dollars. I, I never imagine anything being under a hundred dollars from Razer. So, if anyone needs to get into the peripheral game, check it out. But I think that leads us into our final section here. Yes, yes, we are heading over to the dark and unsolved, and we're going to be discussing a couple famous UFO cases throughout the past couple hundred years. Um, you may recognize some of these, some of these you may never have heard of before, which is fine. I think 
the best place to start is with the most famous of all. Everyone's heard about it. Everybody knows the story, and that is Roswell. So I guess we'll start there. Um, if you don't know, it's 1947 in Roswell, New Mexico, and the air base there released a press release stating that they recovered a flying disc. So that's where everything <laughs> sparked up. It was um, July 8th when they released that, of 1947. And, I mean, at that point, they said flying disc. So everybody thought, hey, they found a UFO. So they retracted that statement, I believe only a couple days later, saying it wasn't a flying disc. It's actually a weather balloon, and you'll see that becomes a nice trend of our military. <laughs> say that, hey, it's not a UFO, it's a weather balloon. But <laughs> what's crazy is that they have pictures, and I mean... <laughs> It looks like it's metallic material, but I don't I don't know what a weather balloon's made out of, especially in the forties. Oh yeah, I'm sure the any any media on it's probably really grainy. Mm -hmm. So I mean you have people saying they witnessed an object come crashing down. People say they witnessed them pulling bodies from this object. Um, obviously we never got a solid answer from it. And from there, I mean, there's stories and then there's more stories and it's like trying to piece together what really happened. Is it a weather balloon? Is it a UFO? Um, if it was a UFO, I feel like somebody would have came out by now. <laughs> like on your deathbed, you were there. You're like, we got aliens. Wow. We found their bodies. Well, I wonder what the time frame is for them to, like, what's the normal classification time frame? Because we're approaching 100 years. You know, we're 83 years at this point from 1940. So, you know, at 100 years, is that the magic number that allows them to be declassified? Or is it is it? indefinitely classified until somebody declassifies it. Yeah, you know, how does that work? Or I do mean, we not? the guy who was the lead person, his name is Jesse Marcel. And he did do interviews afterwards in the 70s, and I believe his last one was in the 80s before he passed away. Okay. And he's always maintained that he never knew what they actually recovered, but he has maintained the fact that there were no bodies there wasn't a single life form recovered, which kind of points to it might not be a weather balloon. I mean, we're looking at the end of World War II. We're looking at, hey, Soviet relations with the U.S. starting to heat up uh, due to the split of Germany. And at that point, it was the beginning of the Cold War. There could have been an attempt to spy and we know the Russians at this point haven't had nuclear technology, but I'm sure they had people within our country who knew. New Mexico, Arizona, Las Vegas. That's where the Manhattan Project happened. That's where testing's continuing to happen. 
maybe they were trying to spy on some of that stuff in their surveillance balloon hmm. could have been knocked out of the sky. Yeah. I mean, it's not the first time we had surveillance balloons. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. But I believe, I don't think it was a UFO. I don't think this was a little green man flying around and crashed. Um, what I believe is it, it was most likely something surveillance-based. I don't think it was what they believe. I think this came from a foreign country into our country. And they just never kind of pointed it to Russia. Or what was that in the Soviet Union at the beginning of our Cold War with them? Which I think that would be the most plausible explanation. Okay. I mean... Yeah, it it's either we're not going to know until they want us to, or we can try to, lo- I don't know, use logic. What else could have possibly been? And, yeah, I mean, I think that, yeah, I can see that being as well. Mm-hmm. Somebody else, just like some... You know, undercover operation nobody knows about, or whatever. And obviously, whenever people do find it out, people aren't going to come <coughs> out and be like, "Hey, it was me." So, yeah, it's hard to tell. I feel like anyone who is around to collect that—I mean, the youngest you're going to be is 18 in the 40s. So, yeah, it on 80 years, yeah, yeah probably nearing the end of life if they haven't already passed. So I think the story is what it is, unless any official documents won't ever come out that change that story. That would be the only thing that changes it. I don't think we're ever going to get an eyewitness account to change anything. Yeah. It's crazy these people don't leave behind like a book or something. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... (coughs) Excuse me. Um, The next one... Uh, you may or may not have heard of it. It is nicknamed the Battle of Los Angeles. And this one happened five years, a couple months and days before Roswell happened. Uh, it happened in February of 1942, obviously in Los Angeles, California. This one has deaths attributed to it, so it's a fun one. So what happened was we were on high alert because obviously this is after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. We're watching the West Coast, and we were doing blackouts across the West Coast in case the Japanese did decide to bomb. So (laughs) everybody was ready. We mobilized anti-aircraft guns, stuff like that, bunkers, raid drills, stuff like that were going on across the West Coast. So on this night... There was a warning issued that an attack on the mainland California could be expected within the next 10 hours. And many flares were shot up, blinking lights were reported in the vicinity. And an alert was called at 7.18 p.m. and lifted at 10.23 p.m. And then activity again happened at 2 a.m. where air raid sirens were eventually uh, sounded. An entire blackout order was given across the whole county and air raid warnings were summoned. At 3.16 we opened fire on an aircraft that they had reported 
Um, we scrambled some aircraft and we fired for over an hour when an all clear was sounded. Um, during the, during the shelling, several buildings and vehicles were damaged. Five civilians died. Um, three in car accidents due to the blackout. And two people did have uh, heart attacks due to the stress that was causing them, which isn't good to laugh about, but it's like their story of what happened was it was a weather balloon. <laughs> Whereas people say that there's an object moving around fast, blinking lights on it, zipping back and forth to the skies, and they couldn't get a good lock with anti-aircraft until it disappeared. Oh, okay. So people are like, hey, that is, might be an alien, UFO. <laughs> and, and there's pictures, you may have seen pictures from this, those pictures are doctored. <laughs> Don't believe those pictures, they have been proven to be doctored. The original picture is just a bunch of beam of light coming together with nothing intelligible in the background of those beams of light. But no, that that's a very popular one because it did result in a military presence and attack. Um, see, this one I easily could chalk up, just the tensions being so high. Where everyone's on the edge of the seats, they've been being warned, hey, they hit Pearl Harbor, we're next, we need to be ready. And it just takes one, one person going, I see something, I see something, for sirens to go and everyone's in we're being attacked mode. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it, it, it causes a mass chaos. Definitely easier to probably avoid that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like yelling fire in a movie theater. Yeah. People are going to panic and that's all it takes is one person to yell fire and all hell breaks loose. And Oh yeah. And then you can't, Get like a situation that could have been like handled is now impossible. Like people mm-hmm. are out of control, you can't maintain anything. So it's just so. I mean, the one thing we can definitely rule out is it was not a Japanese plane. They openly said they never flew any planes over Los Angeles or California for that part. So okay, it was not the Japanese. If it was weather balloons. Did we hit him? <laughs> we never recovered anything. So either we're a really bad shot, or we, it was just hysteria, or maybe a UFO. Yeah. You can't knock it out because nothing was recovered. So if they did hit something, maybe. Maybe it was something nice. that couldn't be shot down. So this one, I, I have a doubt on whether anybody really knows this one. I picked this one because it happened in our state. So it's kind of a cool thing. Oh, okay. So December 9th, 1965, in Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, which is in western, southwestern Pennsylvania, um, very small town, lots of woods. <laughs> uh, they saw a loud light come across the sky and crash into those woods along with a sonic boom. So there's something coming to the ground very fast in a fiery blaze. Um, They had the U.S. Army and state officials immediately seal off around what was 
there. So that sparks suspicions right away. Um, what people describe seeing before this happened was an acorn-shaped object. And, again, that's not something that you normally see flying around as an acorn. Most meteors, when they hit the ground, tend to break up, explode. They don't stay in one mass because it's not a, it's a rock object. It's hitting something, whereas a metal object will crunch and bend and kind of keep its form. Yeah. So. And, and I don't think it's illegal to take, like, if a meteor lands in your backyard and you just, it's yours. I mean, it's not like yeah. you have to take it into your local police station or anything, do you? <laughs> no, no, not at all. I, I mean, if it's something crazy that you, this is like something completely new to Earth, maybe you should, probably should contact someone, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's yours. <laughs> yeah. They go for a lot of money, meter, meteorites do. Uh, yeah, I believe it. I mean, it's a cool thing to collect. I know people collect them, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Just to sit there and just to sit there and hold something and think, wow, like how far this has went, like this has traveled so far, uh, you know, and how old it is and things like that. It's just, it, it would be interesting. That stuff is neat to me at least. So there was odd writing on the object reported Okay, people who saw it. Um, it's just there was a lot of what it, what it was, and I think this one we have the most solid answer on. And NASA didn't release that answer for a little while, and that was that it could have been the Cosmos ninety six, which is a, was a Russian satellite, which does have a similar shape and was coming down into the Earth's atmosphere at the same time. Um, it went over Ontario, down, and they lost track of it over Lake Erie. And this is where it comes out that they're not too sure because when you think about how our state is, coming over Ontario, Ontario would be exactly above where Kecksburg is in our state. But then coming over Erie, it would have had to change directions and gone east a little bit for it to have land in Kecksburg from okay. Erie. So that makes sense. They they think it's that, but at the same time, they said it could be a meteor. They've all but said it's not UFO, which they're always going to say. That's <laughs> that's normally their answer. Um, there's just that uncertainty that. It should have absolutely, you know, blown up at that point. It's what NASA says. It should have been completely destroyed and unrecognizable if it did make it to the ground. It should yeah. keep that shape, which if you look at Cosmo 96 satellite, it is an acorn shape. That is the shape of the object. It is... It is pretty compelling that that would be what they saw. But at the same time, it's weird how 
they could have been so off with the triangulation of where it was going to come down. When it's yeah. from NASA themselves doing it. <laughs> so, yeah. is it a coincidence that a UFO shaped like that satellite came down, or is it just that satellite? That's the question. I guess we'll find out whenever the documents ever get released, if there is any. I'm just happy they didn't say it was a weather balloon. <laughs> <laughs> This next one um, is the second most recent one we're reporting, but the one that had the most on-ground eyewitnesses. So I would suspect most people have heard of the Phoenix Lights and have seen the video of the Phoenix Lights. Um, if you haven't, it, you just have this light and then more lights add around it to kind of make a circular shape in the sky. And this was in on March 13th, 1997 in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, the official explanation from the government on this one was it was A-10 Warthogs returning to base in formation. Um, and then the subsequent lights were from flares dropped by those A-10 Warthogs, which <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, there's um, a lot of it's you know because it's like yeah you know maybe the pilots are just dicking off or something like hey let's send a flare or what the hell you know some some celebratory thing or maybe one of them just found out they had a child like you don't want to roll it out like maybe it is true like what they said it's just very coincidental that there's two things in a row that worked out perfectly for them but. Yeah. Then it's also, like, the skepticism of that, like, okay, you know, or is there an alternative thing here that, what's going, what's really happening? Yeah. <laughs> so, what makes this one a little bit strange, and why it's probably one of the more believable ones, obviously the next one cover is going to be the most believable one, is the governor at the time came out in a press conference and he was joking about a year veil. He said we found who was responsible, and he veiled somebody dressed up in an alien costume, joking about it. But after he was out of office years later, he came out and said that him having the background he had as an Air Force pilot saw the object firsthand and was freaked out about it, and he didn't want to say anything because he didn't want to panic people. He, he says that more responsible people, such as military, have seen it and came out and said that they don't think it's planes. He doesn't think it's a plane. So what did those people in Phoenix see? What did they capture on video? It's still left up to speculation. Whether or not you want to believe that was aircraft and formation and flares, or if you want to believe it was aliens or some other type of plane that we were developing and testing. And again, probably tested over such a populated area. <clears throat> it's, it's, it's up to speculation. Yeah. It's, I, I think that's the easiest part to play on it too, is just leave it up for speculation. Absolutely. Cause it's, 
no matter what facts you present or whatever, there's always going to be, eh, there's, that's fake document or maybe it is a fake document or, so it's just leave it off for speculation. <laughs> <laughs> so our final one we're going to be covering are from the Pentagon themselves. From the U.S. Navy, they come from two ships, the USS Nimitz and the USS Theodore Roosevelt. And we are going to be sharing some video of these. So we'll go ahead and watch the first one. So, it's, it's quite blurry, I will say that. It's on board with a plane that is intercepting the object they saw. So, as you can see, there's not much detail around what it could be. You just see what seems to be a ball there. But it really expands. It's like it noticed and it like expanded to three or four times its size. Did you see that? Mm Mm-hmm. It is interesting. See, and then bro- all that light. Go ahead. Uh. It is infrared, so you got to remember, this is giving off a heat signature. Okay. So, what we could be seeing is afterburners on a jet. Well, yeah, whenever it exploded to, like, four times its size, the whole, shortly after that, it, like, took off, and that's where all that light was. So mm-hmm. that... You know, it could be a jet. It's just the shape of this one. See, I, I think this is the worst one out of all three of them. So here's the second one. This one's shorter, a little bit more defined. Yeah. And now you're really getting a sense of what it looks like that they're tracking. Okay. Yeah, that is really strange. It's almost like flat on the front. Mm-hmm. Which makes absolutely no sense to our physics. It doesn't like these, appear to have wings, or it's just a... These guys are trained. Yeah. And when you see something like this, and their Navy's coming out and saying, we don't know what it was... That's kind of indicator that, hey, this is something else. This might not be a jet. This one's crazy to me because you can really tell how fast it's going. See, they deployed is what makes me like, what was the resolution to this? You know, did did it get away and then they just went home or did was there resolution to this? Uh, no resolution. Because they're out there, you know, they're flying with it. (laughs) So you can see this one was picked up on, you just see how fast it's moving. Which I don't know how fast um, things look like they're moving. You know what I mean? Like when we see a jet going over that same terrain, what's it look like? That's my question. Well, I mean, put it in perspective, I don't know how much different. I'm sure it is substantially different, but 
I mean, if you're on 422 here in Pennsylvania or freeway and I'm going 70 in the left lane and traffic's doing the speed limit 55 in the right lane, 70 versus 55, that 15 mile an hour differential at that speed doesn't seem like a lot. It takes a while to pass that person. The distance that you have to travel to actually get past them and merge back into the right lane, just one vehicle is, is actually quite a bit. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm in a hurry to pass somebody <laughs> on a freeway, you know, I'm trying to, if they're going 55, I'm doing, you know, <clears throat> I'm going to get out in the left lane, hit 90 real quick and get back in there and go about my business. But so. When it comes to these things, there's a lot of a lot of things that get talked about. And by saying you, if I don't mean this is aliens, mm-hmm. this is just something that we can't tell what it is. Something yeah. based off of what we're seeing, what our pilots are seeing in the air, they don't yeah. know what it is. This could be the Chinese, could be the Russian, it could be one of our friends, it could be the Australians, it could be the British. It's just, we don't know for sure. And I mean, this is the Navy. If the DOD wants to keep something secret, it's not going to sell the Navy. Hey, the Air Force is working on this project. (laughs) Don't send planes after it. Yeah. They might want to see how other planes compare. That's true. Maybe it could be a test. Yeah, you're right. They got to look at every angle. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, that's really cool. All the the UFOs and the history here. It's 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 amazing that there really hasn't been something, and if there has, they haven't been able to give us anything. It'd be cool. <laughs> but no that that is our episode yeah so it, it always goes quickly you know we come up with these topics and discuss them it's always fun hopefully you guys enjoyed that and um hopefully you see you next time as always like subscribe and hit that notification bell. Yeah, guys. Peace out. Peace out.